Hey, it's Quinn Miners, and you're listening to The Blitz. Welcome back to another episode of The Blitz. This is episode number 21. So the uh, Kevin Garnett and Back in Minnesota Days episode. And uh, as always, my name is Anthony DeBona. You can follow me on Twitter at Debona. My brother, my co-host, as always, you can follow him on Twitter at Jorge Blanco. And then, of course, the show. You can follow the show on Twitter at The Blitz Podcast. And uh, we do appreciate it. If you can rate, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. So uh, John's Giants made a big move this week. And uh, I mean that kind of literally. So go ahead and talk about that, John. Yeah, they did certainly make a big move. They signed the man himself. No, not Kwame Brown, who we'll talk about later. Calvin Benjamin, former wide receiver, drafted by Dave Gettleman to play for the Carolina Panthers. I feel like everybody thinks of him as a bust, but he had a good rookie year. He had a decent second year. Then he blew up and left the league, basically, after a short stint in Buffalo. Um, I think it's worth the risk, basically. I haven't seen the numbers, but I assume it's for nothing. They're, he's converting the tight end, which Tim Tebow is kind of the only way that it makes sense to give him another shot after two years away. But for Giants, I think it makes sense. They have him, but if I remember right, I think they only have him for – I think this is his last year. I think this is year option, if I'm not mistaken. So they got to decide what they're doing with him after this year. They signed Rudolph for, uh, to, I think, a two-year deal, but I think that could maybe they have an out after this year, potentially two if things go south. There's no real security there. And then they have uh, who I like, but the Giants, for whatever reason, seem to not like. And Levon Toilolo, uh, who is really just a blocking tight end, even though he's so tall that he should be a red zone threat. Um, I don't expect from him. I don't think he's going to get any much playing time at all unless there's injuries. And I don't know if he'll even make the 53, but if he does show out in camp and if he does make the 53, then I think they will find a role for him and he could maybe find himself factoring in, in the red zone. Everybody knows that I love tall receivers and tight ends. So him being, I think, what, 6'5", is always going to make me kind of interested. And the fact that he does have that wide receiver experience in the past and wasn't half bad his first two years. Um, I was half joking when I said on Twitter that I think there should be a time when the Giants run a package with just Rudolph, Galladay, and uh, Ingram, and whoever else they want. Somebody else tall, whether they go Toilolo or Smith or whoever. And just literally run them all into the same spot of the field and – the ball up so it is what it is i don't think he's going to really have much of an impact i hope he does i hope they find a diamond in the rough and if he does end up actually looking good and showing the potential that he showed as a rookie in carolina then maybe they do think about trading ingram or letting rudolph go after this year but i think it's probably more than likely that he doesn't even make the three yeah i think best case scenario is they're hoping that they get like a darren waller kind of situation where he was just literally a nobody the first four. And then I think he literally had like 150 yards over the first four years of his career. And now he's had back-to-back seasons of 1,000 yards or more and looks like the best tight end or one of the best tight ends in the NFL. So, Yeah, and I mean, with, I would say with Benjamin, the issue is always his weight. Say he's, I think, up to 260 now, which is about, I feel like, average for a tight end, especially a tall tight end. Um, 
we'll just see. I don't know if he can block at all, but as that like move tight end sort of hybrid role, they could maybe find a spot for him. It's just the team seemed pretty stacked there. But like I said, they also didn't have anybody like long term there. And not that they're signing Benjamin to a long term deal, but if he shows any potential, it'd probably be cheaper to extend him to bring Ingram back on a new deal or extend Rudolph for anything like that. So uh to just change gears to my favorite team, the Eagles made actually veteran additions three days in a row. They signed Ryan Kerrigan, future Hall of Famer. Right? Future Hall of Famer Ryan Kerrigan. Yeah, uh no. <laughs> so yeah, they signed him for uh, some defensive line depth. It reminds a lot of people of when they signed Chris Long, kind of probably going to serve that same role. Guy off the bench gets you probably like five, six sacks or whatever. Then they uh, traded he'll for your, Josiah. Uh, he'll be the Eagles' Kyler Fackrell, uh, and he would still be the best edge rusher on the Giants. But we'll, we've talked about that. That's enough, so, so insanely stupid. I can't believe. Like, I know you like to troll, but that's just a beyond dumb take. I know you trolled on Twitter and were like, oh, the Gi- he had more sacks than any of the Giants' edge rushes, blah, 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 even though they only played 38% of the snaps. And it's like, sure, if you want to get technical, that's true. That also ignores all of the sack production that you got from Leonard Williams, who is technically a defensive end, even though it's a 3-4 defensive end, which means he's really kind of a DT, but whatever. But he had 11.5 sacks last year, and then they had their top two edge rushers on paper O'Shane Zimenez and Lorenzo Carter both played in five games or fewer, so less than 30% of the games. And then they added Aziz Ojolari, uh, who is probably expected to be the top pass rusher this year, who really wasn't in the NFL last year. So that's a very lo- that was a very loaded tweet that you put out there. And it just felt like it was just targeted at trolling me. And the craziest part is Ryan Kerrigan's going to have more sacks than all of them this year. I, that's, you don't even believe that. <laughs> Just wait and see. And then uh, the Eagles also traded for Josiah Scott, who I didn't even know who it was before they traded for him. Small nickel corner. And then today they signed the Raven Clark. So that's backup tackle, whatever. Oh, speaking of you, I was going to say, speaking of you trolling, I forgot to mention that uh, not only did the Giants do that, they also brought in, um, they claimed uh, Raquel Armstead off waivers from the Jaguars running back. And they signed your boy, uh, Corey Clement, former Eagles running back. Super Bowl legend. That's right. So they got two so, decent running backs that didn't cost them two and a half million guaranteed dollars. But yeah, and we went we went back and forth about this online too. But <laughs> yes, the Giants overpaid Devontae Booker, but Devontae Booker is also a better running back than both of those guys. So that's just it is what it is. Should they have given Devontae Booker that money? No, but he is better than both of them. It's just Dave Gettleman has a weird. He's done some good things over the past couple of years. Some obviously very questionable things as well. But one of the weird things is his like obsession with paying kind of old running backs too much money. And it's just, I'll never understand it. But it well, they want, I say the Giants want to be a rush heavy team. They want to be a run first team, even though they made so many moves this, this season specifically that made it feel like they want to be a lot more balanced and more pass heavy. But I think in theory, they still always wanted to be the hard nosed, run it down your throat sort of team. I think that's why they also signed, like, brought in three backs who I think are all, what, 220 or better, basically, with Armstead, Booker, and uh, Clement. They're all guys who are pretty, like, diesel, physical-ish running backs. Like, so I think they, they very much want that to be the identity of the team, is just, like, run it down your throat and use that to open up the pass. 
Yeah, and uh, this week there wasn't much going on in football, so we're actually going to jump into some basketball and maybe some baseball too. But the last thing on the uh, football end of this is the Texans added another quarterback. This is their fourth quarterback they've added this uh, offseason on top of already having Deshaun Watson. So that situation obviously looks terrible. But let me just run it down real quick. So they signed Tyrod Taylor to start free agency. Then they traded a sixth-round pick for Ryan Finley. Then they drafted Davis Mills in the third round, and now they just signed Jeff Driscoll to a contract that has like almost a million dollars guaranteed. So I just don't understand what the hell that team is doing. And it just seems like it's only a matter of time before Deshaun Watson is on another team. Yeah, but at the time, they also, I mean, they can't move on from him until everything's cleared up because nobody's going to shoot for him with everything hanging over his head right now. Um, but that being said, I think. The quarterback situation, no matter what moves they pull off, short of officially trading Watson, is pretty much settled. Where it's it's going to be Taylor starting the, the year, and then Mills as the sort of first guy off the bench. And if Taylor struggles early or Mills looks great in the preseason, Mills takes over. I think those are just your top two, assuming that Watson is either refusing to play or not allowed to play, whatever the case is with him. Yeah, it's just so confusing because, like, you traded a pick for one guy, then you used a third-round pick for another guy, then you gave Tyrod Taylor a decent amount of money, and now you're throwing more money. Like, teams – a lot of teams don't even keep three quarterbacks on the roster. Now but they have, like – But if it's a million guaranteed, that's really not anything. Like, you know what I mean? Like, maybe they'll keep him as the third guy, that means for sure. But it's not like for a quarterback, when you got guys making – like, mediocre quarterbacks make over $10 million a year. Like, I feel like it's not – a million dollars for a quarterback is nothing. That's not really – I don't think that's going to say, like, we're locked into this guy or anything like that. I think they want to have their insur- insurance policy so that they know they have their quarterbacks if they don't have Watson this year. And that's really all it is. But that's the thing. They already had three quarterbacks without Watson. Yeah, so but I don't know – make sense to me. But I don't know how they trust uh, – other one besides Taylor and Mills. Oh, they traded. Yeah, Ryan Finley. Yeah, so I don't know how much faith. I know they traded a sixth rounder, but a sixth rounder is almost a throwaway anyway to a degree. So it's like, I don't know how much they really put stock. I think it's more, I think there's part of it too is like, let them all play, like, get a real legit competition for training camp and the preseason. Keep your best two. And then if a third one does show out, maybe you can get something back in trade value for them. Not that you're going to get anything high, but maybe, you know, recoup a sixth rounder or maybe even upgrade it to a fifth or whatever if a guy, like, looks really good. And then you just go from there. I don't know. I think that's – there's just not really thinking about there. I just think it, it points further to the fact that Deshaun Watson is not going to be in Houston very long. But, well, uh, I, think every, I think everybody just knows that regardless of what happens, he's not playing this year. It feels like at least. Maybe yeah. things turn around and everything gets dropped in July or June. And he's back with the team in August. Everything's worked out, whatever. But it just feels like they're not going to have him this year regardless. And I don't think they're going to be able to move on from him this year either. I think they're kind of just stuck until everything gets settled. Yeah, so uh, that'll do it for our whole football segment because, like I said, there's not a lot going on right now in the world of the NFL. So now but, what uh, we're doing is, I say, what we're doing is we're taking that football where – putting one hand on each end of it we're squishing it down and we're making it a round ball <laughs> and we're gonna do the first ever deep blitz basketball deep dive oh uh, so d d basketball is what you're saying it's called now yes d d basketball it's the offshoot not, 
not the best name in the world, but uh, I guess we'll D- roll with D- it. D-Basketball episode one. So as we're recording this right now, the uh, mm-hmm. Warriors are beating the Lakers 31-26 in the second oh, quarter. You're, I'll say you're behind. It's 33-26 on my screen. Oh, oh, uh, it just changed right now. Okay. The so Warriors are up 33-26 live. Live oh, action. Not, not, uh, 35-26. You got you to gotta get cable again. Jesus, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we're just going to go ahead and we predicted – the entire NBA playoffs, or at least I did. I'm not sure if John did, but yeah, I, I kind of did, and I'll explain when we talk about it. But... All right. So, do you want me to go up first? Go through my whole uh, bracket that I got here. Um, sure. But I think before we go through brackets, we should just frame it because I know most people who listen to this know us personally. There may be somebody who listens who doesn't, except except if their name is Ralph, but <laughs> who's not for the podcast, <laughs> um, or or doesn't know that we're brothers. Um, shout out Jason Tatum, by the way. So, yeah, so just for some background, Anthony is a massive Celtics fan. <laughs> um, has been basically since, what would you say, like the Garnett-Allen trio yes, that, was probably Garnett, when you got on board. Yep. Garnett's my boy. Um, growing up, I considered myself when I was a kid a Bulls fan, but I never, like, really, really – I just said that because I was on the team. Um, then all the way, basically until college, I didn't really like any team because – all the teams kind of sucked. So I would like casually root for the Nets and Knicks because those are the two local teams and I'm always like a local guy. But I didn't really have that one set team. Then basically in 2010 when the Knicks got Amari, I jumped on that bandwagon for like a year or two. Wait, um, wait, one, one second. Was yes. it when they got Amari or was it when they got Raymond Felton? <laughs> yes. I had, I had a Raymond Felton shirt. <laughs> um, but when they when they brought in Raymond Felton and Amari Stoudemire, I jumped on that bandwagon because I was like, oh, the Knicks could be okay. And at the time, the Nets were complete garbage and still in Jersey and whatever. Um, then came 2012. Uh, once they announced, I'm, like I said, I'm always a hometown guy. So once they announced that the Nets were coming to Brooklyn, I was like, that's going to be my team when that happens, regardless. I literally got pack of trading cards with like the initial nets or the inaugural roster and half those guys weren't even on the team when the actual season started because they made it based on the season in jersey basically um so there were guys like jordan farmer who like i don't think ever even played in brooklyn at all you're a big um, chris humphreys guy though i yeah huge chris humphreys guy <laughs> but uh so just to jump back for a second in 2010, I started dating Jen, who I was marrying. Her family had Rangers tickets. Um, that's what got me started on the idea of like going to games more. I convinced our parents to go in on getting net season tickets. And at the time, they were pretty reasonable when they first moved to Brooklyn. So we actually had season tickets for the first, I think it was the first three years that the Nets played in Brooklyn. Um, I went to nearly every home game for those first three years. They started off really good. They were, I think, the fourth seed in 2012, and then they kind of petered out. Eventually, it got to the point where, like, Jen had Veronica, so we couldn't make it to games anymore as much, and we couldn't sell our tickets ever, so we eventually gave up the season tickets. But basically, since 2012, I've considered myself a diehard Nets fan. This is definitely not a bandwagon, like, oh, KD came. As a matter of fact, it actually, like, in some ways feels dirty to say that I'm a Nets fan now because of, like, how bought this team is. But if they do win it all, not an ounce of me is going to think about it. So it is what it is. So being a Nets fan now is like essentially being like the LeBron fan of the past uh, 10 years or so. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, kind, of, kind of, but also LeBron fans are still the LeBron fans of now. <laughs> um, that's true. But like I said, as you could about me. Um, I like I said, I consider myself a diehard Nets fan. I don't consider myself a diehard basketball fan. I'm a diehard football fan, but I won't watch basketball games generally. I mean, I'm watching the play-in right now because it's such an interesting concept to me. But generally, I won't watch a lot of basketball that doesn't involve the Nets. And actually, got to say, I'm guilty of not even watching a lot of regular season basketball from the Nets this year because Kyrie Irving didn't even care about the regular season. Kevin Durant and James Harden barely care about the regular season. If the players don't care about the regular season, I, as a fan, am not going to invest my time in the regular season. So I sat through having to be excited for signing D'Angelo Russell, who ended up panning out. Well, or actually, I should say trades for guys like D'Angelo when they took on that Mozgov contract. And getting excited for the big pairing of Russell and Okafor. Like, so I've earned the right to like not care at all about the Nets this regular season. But come Sunday, our two teams are going to be facing off. And that's when things will get exciting. And that's when I'll start watching every single game and really self-invested, I'm sure. It is. Uh, I think they play Saturday, no? Oh, it's, oh, yeah, you're right. Actually, Saturday, Saturday night. Oh. Wow. Wow, real Nets fan you are there, buddy. Yeah, uh, whatever. When, no, Ky, Ky, I would say Kyrie hasn't told me that it's time to care yet. So <laughs> I'm waiting for our Lord and Savior, Kyrie Irving, to tell me. You know, I'm, I'm just a pawn. I got to know when, uh, when to be moved. I think we could probably spend an entire episode just talking about Kyrie Irving. But uh... I, like I said, I, I, and that's the thing. I said it last year when they signed him. I never, like, I'm on record as being a Nets fan who never wanted Kyrie. I know he had the crazy year that he had when he played this year. He, what what they say, was only the fourth player ever to, I think, average over 25 points on, like, 50, 40, 90 or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but I never wanted him in the first place. I liked Russell a lot. I thought Russell was a better fit with the young core. But I always said that if they were going to get I only wanted it as the Trojan horse that you can sneak Durant in on, basically. Yeah. And he brought Durant with him. So once that happened, I can't ever fully hate him. And he had, like, every time he's played for the Nets, it's not like a Darren Williams thing. He's not playing and being bad. Like, when he plays for the Nets, he plays great. And I think he's going to play in the playoffs, like, especially with Durant there and hopefully the three of them healthy. I think they're, I think Kyrie really is going to give it all and probably win me over in the playoffs. But, I can safely say Kyrie's my least favorite player on the Nets. Or he'll shoot uh, 7 of 27 and flop in the playoffs like he did for the Celtics. But that's just uh, my feeling yeah. about him. But uh, So, yeah, let's jump into our predictions. Do you want to go, like, conference by conference, or do you want to just go overall? Uh, do you want to go series by series? All right, go ahead. You can start. So, let's, I think we should start with our two teams. Um, okay. Needless to say, I'm picking the Nets. Did I know pick, some people. Uh, did you pick games? Like, yeah. How many games? Yeah. Right. So, uh, I don't know the order, but I do think I, I said Nets in five. Okay. I said the same I, exact thing. I was almost tempted to say Nets in six because I can see them. I think there's a chance they could drop game one just because, like, it's the first game that the big three are going to be playing together in a while and, you know, trying to, like, play a full game. And maybe it takes them a game or two to get their feet back under them as a unit, but I ultimately think they're just so talented and Boston not having Brown. I don't think Boston has any real chance. I think some of the games will be kind of close. I think Boston will have their runs, but I think the 
take it and it's not all that difficult. I agree. I got the Nets winning 4-1. All right. So we agree on that one. Um, uh, who do you have as the eighth seed? That's the thing. I still don't know. I didn't really work on those series so much. I will just say whoever gets it, I think Philly – whoever gets it, I think Philly's winning. And probably in five games for yeah. similar reasons. I think they might get – I think they might – lose one game off of like whoever gets the eighth seed having that little bit of momentum of getting that like one pre-playoff win um but i still think philly wins against either of those teams and without a ton of difficulty yeah i got philly i have indiana beating washington so i got philly in, uh, in five over washington i mean philly over in five over indiana and that that feels right too i think washington's so banged up too with like beal being hurt and stuff that I don't know if like what they can really do. I think Westbrook, if he could will, like will that team to the eighth seed, would make it fun and maybe steal a game. But I don't think they have any real chance of winning a series, and I don't think Indy does either. Although I think Indy can make it scrappier than Washington could if they're healthy. And then uh, let's jump to Milwaukee versus Miami. What do you got on that? This is going to be. I think it's like the series to watch of the first round because you have Big Face Coffee, Jimmy Butler, and those boys going up against the uh, best pro wrestling team in the league and the Milwaukee Bucks. So those are two teams that I really enjoy that aren't the Nets. Um, I think Milwaukee wins ultimately. I think they're a little too talented for Miami, although Miami's got some guys too. They made, what, the finals last year, right? Yep. In the bubble. Over my, so, over Miami, yep. Um. I think it could definitely be a series. I have Milwaukee winning in seven, though. I think Miami steals a few games. I think Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler's it up. I think he might be the sort of most old school player in the NBA right now, as far as mentality or the most like Mamba mentality guy in the league. Yeah. So, like, I think they really make it a series, but I ultimately just think Milwaukee's too talented and has that chip on their shoulder, also. And I think Milwaukee takes it in seven. Yeah, I got Milwaukee in six, and. uh just to go back to Jimmy Jimmy Butler, it's just like he's such an, a weird player for this day and age because I feel like right now everybody's worried about like shooting a million three-pointers per game and you want everybody to shoot 40% from three. But like Jimmy Butler still recognizes like one of the best players in the game and he shoots like 24% from three. <laughs> like the guy literally just like he can't shoot threes, but he's still so damn good. I think he averages like 21-7-7 and seven this year or something like that. He's been banged up, but he's just like, He's a player you got to respect. You hate going against them, but like you would love him on your team. Well, I've also talked about how I'm huge on just personalities with guys. Yeah. And Jimmy Butler is one of the funniest, I think, smartest guys in the league, or at least has like one of the best senses of humor. And so I'm never going to dislike Jimmy Butler for that. Yeah, and ever since he did that whole uh, stunt in Minnesota – where he like uh, played with the backups and beat the starters or something like that. Like the <laughs> was, trade. I was talking him the whole time. Yeah, yeah. the guy is just – you got to respect he, he, also, like, he also wound up being very right on that because Minnesota has been trash since he left. Yeah. He's been, so, uh, he got out of Chicago in time. He got out of Minnesota in time. He, he won I me know. over completely with the big face coffee, though. The him Sixers so, made a huge mistake letting him walk, but – Oh, God. Him, him – I'm glad they did, though. Him, him selling his big face coffee. $20 a cup regardless of size. <laughs> um, I just love that guy. All right. So uh, then we got, I guess, a game that uh, a lot of New Yorkers are looking forward to this series. 
We have the Knicks, the four seed, getting a home play, getting a home playoff series against the Atlanta Hawks. I am so, I'm so jealous of the Knicks, and I've said this before. Like, I don't get me wrong. I don't expect to be jealous come July when I think the Knicks will be out of it and the Nets will be competing for a championship. But I remember how fun it felt. Nets were, uh, and the Nets weren't even homegrown, really, because they made the trade for, like, Joe Johnson or whatever. But when they were sort of like the underdog of the city, and the Knicks were supposed to be, you know, the big deal when they had the, the Mello Amari pairing. I remember like how good it felt to just sort of be the scrappier underdog. And the Knicks have been so bad for so long. And those fans have been so dumb in just continuing to support the terrible product that Dolan's put out blindly that those fans absolutely deserve it. They're insufferable. I hate a lot of Knicks fans, but. They are one of the best fan bases. They're one of the dumbest fan bases in sports because the team was allowed to be so terrible for so long. But they're one of the best fan bases in sports, and they deserve it. And I think the Knicks can and should win their first round. They're going to be like a lot of Thibodeau teams where like, they play hard and they're not the most talented, and they win that first round just like the Bulls when they were all banged up, beat the Nets in that uh, 2013 playoff series despite being all injured and the Nets being in full health. I think the Knicks are going to out-tough Atlanta. And Atlanta probably has more talent, but isn't amazingly talented. So I think the Knicks win the first-round series. I think the Garden is going to be absolutely nuts for that first game and for most of the games probably, I'm sure, in that first round. And so I have the Knicks winning, and I have it going six. Okay, I have the Knicks winning it in seven. But uh, for similar reasons, because I feel like the oh, Hawks the are kind of... Garden for a Game 7 would be insane. Yeah, I saw Brian O'Connor and the NBA group already like bought tickets for Game 7, because those are the only tickets he can get that are available. So that's not a Game 7, that would be great. I'll say, that would be, pre- that would be pretty awesome, too. Because that's the thing, as much as I love the Nets, the Nets, even going to a Game 7 in the NBA Finals, I don't think the Barclays would be as loud and raucous as the Garden for a Game 7 in the first round. Like, it's just a different breed of fan. Yeah, I think I posted in the NBA group um, on Facebook a couple of days ago about that uh, game that we had went to, the Celtics-Knicks game, where Paul Pierce hit the game-winning shot, and then everybody thought Amari Stoudemire hit the the game winner, but it ended up not counting. That was heartbreaking, because that's how I was rooting for the Knicks with my Raymond Felton shirt. That was heartbreaking, man. Yeah, that was... um, Probably the loudest stadium I've ever been in. So it was insane for those few that they thought he. Yeah, was, I was like, we've been to Gi- we've been to Giants Eagles games before. I know you went to a Celtics uh, 76ers playoff game. I've been to Nets playoff games. Yeah, that was one of the loudest I've ever heard a building. Outside of like Rangers conference final, like the Rangers games are the loudest I've ever heard buildings. But uh, the Knicks were a close second for sure, and for a regular season game that really. Yeah, so I just feel like the Knicks are like the grittier team. Atlanta's more of a finesse team based around a bunch of shooters and trades. I think they'll grind it out and win. They're, they kind of remind me of like those old Grizzlies teams with Zach Randolph, yeah, Marcus good, that's Mike good Conley, where it's like they just play tough. It's going to be kind of low scoring. But R- Randall's, gonna... the new, Randall's the new Zebo. Yeah, exactly. Also, just real quick to touch on the game earlier tonight, the uh, Spurs. And uh, Jonas Valanciunas had the first 2020 game in which I feel like is kind of surprising when you no, consider really? both, How is both it possible? Also, with, with them having yeah. Marcus and Randolph for all the had Randolph never had a 2020? Apparently not. 
Because he must have had like, like a, he must have had a ton of like twenty and fifteen then or something. Because yeah, I feel because like he both was Gasol up, like, there, and then Zebo played there, so it was just like, yeah. But yeah, he had like twenty three and twenty three. I don't know. If, I think I think I read it was the first twenty twenty assist three. It might have been the first twenty twenty playoff game. But this no, but this isn't uh, counted no, as a playoff saying, game. So that's the thing that I heard when I was watching the beginning of this Lakers Warriors game. That basically these play-in stats go nowhere. Yeah, they, they don't count. It's amazing. They apparently don't because the announcers were joking that like they can say whatever they want because apparently nothing counts. Uh, the stats don't count towards the regular season stats and don't count towards the playoff stats. Yeah. So that's such a weird. For nothing. That's such a weird thing, but but the play-in concept is so fun, and I feel like it has to stay forever. Oh yeah, well I posted a, a screenshot from a tweet that uh the ratings for the Celtics game night was like beat any primetime game during the regular season. So, like, the playing tournament is going to stay. Like, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to money, and this is just another draw. Well, because that's, makes... that's the thing, too. Like I said, I'm not I'm not a diehard NBA fan on a whole, but I love the – like, part of the reason I love football is because you only watch one game when it comes to the playoffs, and it's win or lose, that's it. Like, you don't have to come back four, five, six more times after that one game. And that's what the play-in gives you, an element of that. And, like, I think anytime you could bring that football element into other sports, that's why Game 7s do so good. Like, one and ones are really interesting. It's why people love the NCAA tournament. Like, yeah. that's a fun thing to have. Whether or not you want to say it's fair or whatever, I feel like it is because if you couldn't be one of the top six teams in your conference, then, oh, well, like, deal with it. Yeah, but I do have to admit – the play-in tournament's a lot more fun when your team is not in it because I was stressing out when the, the Celtics had to play last night, but luckily they won. But, yeah, I mean, like you see, like, guys like Luka Doncic and LeBron James complaining about it now, but now it's because they were close well, in it, but Luka was close to being in it. So it was like last year they were like, oh, yeah, it's a cool idea, whatever, because they were higher seeds. Yeah. They were in jeopardy of being in it, and it's like, oh, who invented this? This is a stupid idea. It's just – how it is like you like it when your team's not in it, yeah. It's just fun to watch, but then when you're actually, involved, I think it's like, all, oh, man. I think it's also interesting too because I think it also, um, like, I don't think it really has any effect on tanking necessarily, but I think it does sort of. I don't know if desensitize, uh, de incentivize is a word, but it does sort of like give teams the incentive to not necessarily rest everybody all the damn time during the regular season. Like I feel like the Nets did do and still lucked into the two seed because they're so damn talented. Um, Like a team like LA, and I know they weren't just resting up. Like I know LeBron had a legitimate ankle injury or whatever, but I feel like they're a team too who would just like sort of give guys, whether it's AD or LeBron or whatever, nights off figuring like we'll come back, we'll get the two or the three seed, who cares? And we'll run through the playoffs anyway, where now they might not do that because there's an outside chance they don't even make the playoffs now. Yeah. And that's an exciting yep. idea, I think, to try to get teams to play their guys as much as they can to at least guarantee that top six spot and know that you're not going to be playing for your life is a good thing. Yeah. And I just feel like in terms of people saying, like, oh, it stops tanking, like, it doesn't because those teams yeah, are still like, really, really, really bad because, like, Say, like, the teams like the Thunder and Houston. Like, if you looked at the rules they were putting out there, it was just, like, you knew that damn well they weren't going to try. Like, the the Thunder after the trade deadline, they're like, hey, Al Horford, you know, like, you're literally not going to play anymore. Yeah. So it's just, like, that's still going to happen no matter what, but it does make the last goal 
weeks of the season obviously more important and more entertaining to watch because obviously uh, the like way, I think the only way you could actually stop teams from tanking and you still wouldn't stop it but like curb the idea of tanking is if you then said like let's say we're doing this play in right so really the top 10 literally have a chance to make the playoffs right if you just said all of the teams below 10 now play a tournament and the winner gets even if you're not getting the number one pick the winner of that tournament let's say gets you know, the guys obviously have to get some sort of money because I feel like the guys generally don't care about the, the traffic. But, like, the players get a bonus and the team gets the number one, either, if not the outright number one pick, the best odds. And then maybe teams won't tank so bad because it's like you are going to have to try to win this tournament at the end of the year to get the number one pick. Yeah. It's just, I don't know, it adds a lot. Yeah. It's like they kind of took from baseball in a sense because baseball had that whole, like, wild card playing game that, brought in a ton of viewers so basketball saw that and was like oh we got to try that and it worked out so yeah i think it's here did, did, I, hear somewhere our... the, did I hear somewhere that baseball is getting rid of that though yeah i think they are but that's I, so I baseball is we're talking about we're, it later baseball is yeah, so we're... stupid baseball is the worst sport <laughs> as far as like being interesting for modern times baseball is horrible yeah let's so, finish, uh, let's finish this basketball thing though. basically we had the same run until this point so we got Taking on the two seed Nets. I'm just going to go first. I have the Nets winning in seven. That's exactly what I have. I think it's going to okay. take seven. I think Milwaukee is in the East, the team, and I know Philly has got the number one seed, but I think the Bucks are the team that's the best suited to give the Nets a hard time and has the most talent and depth to compete with them. So I don't think it's going to be easy for the Nets, but I ultimately do think having that trio – Hopefully they all stay healthy is going to be enough to overcome the box and give them that win in seven. And on the other side, you got the one seed Sixers against the four seed Knicks. I have the Sixers winning four two. I have the Sixers winning uh, four. Uh, yeah, one I have. I think I think the Knicks will get that first game at the Garden because again the Garden will be nuts. And then I think Philly turns it on, closes them out because I think Philly is Ross almost similar to the Knicks but better. So, yeah, I, they they're like a more version, obviously. Version. What? They're like a more talented version. Like they they have talented bigs, questionable guards. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. So that would lead us to a one versus two, Philly and Brooklyn in the East Conference Finals. I had the Nets winning four, and uh, I don't think it's a surprise. I have the exact same thing. I don't think okay. I don't have the Nets like sweeping anything because again, I think that chemistry matters. And I think there's going to be at least a game or two that uh, Philly, Philly's like Simmons and Embiid connection is a little too much for the Nets. So yeah. I definitely don't think the Nets get a sweep or anything, but I think I don't think it takes game seven either because I also don't think the Nets want to play in Philly in a game seven. So I need to close it out at home and get this, get the uh, series in six. Because I feel like. Right, the, yeah. uh, just to check the six, the six game is a, is the uh, the lower seed, right? Yeah, yeah it's two two one one one. one. Okay, because I know there was sometimes they flip and they go the two three two, and then sometimes it's the two two one one one. So I didn't know how they were doing it, but I thought they were getting the sixth at home. So, so I just feel like Joel and B have a couple games where he just lifts unstoppable. He's gonna have like forty points or something, and the Sixers will get a couple wins. But yeah. like. It just comes down to the Nets are going to make somebody else besides Joel Embiid beat them. I think the Sixers can keep up with what the Nets have. So, yeah. But that about does it for the.
Conference. We'll take a quick break and then come back and run down the Western Conference Finals, then maybe talk about some Kwame Brown news, a whole bunch of surrounding him and uh, the boys at the All the Smoke podcast or whatever the hell it's called. Hmm? And then uh, we'll roast baseball a little bit. So we'll be right back. What's up, everybody? It's Anthony Abona, and it's time for a word from our sponsor, Fanspeak.com. Now, just because the 2021 NFL draft is over, most of the big-name free agents are signed, there's still a whole lot you can do over at Fanspeak.com. You can use the on-the-clock 2021 redraft tool where you can take control of your favorite team and fix all the mistakes you think they made during this year's draft, or you can get a head start on next year's class with the -the on-the-clock 2022 tool, which allows you to get all the knowledge you need about next year's prospects Get a head start on that process so you can put on your GM hat and see what your team can do next year. So uh, let's get back to the episode. Let's jump right back into it. We did the uh, Eastern Conference. We both had the Nets reaching the finals. But now it's time to see who we have them playing against. So uh, we'll start with, well, my bracket might be screwed already because currently the Lakers are down 13 at the half to the Warriors. So um but in my prediction, I have Utah, the number one seed, playing Golden State, the number eight seed. And I have Utah winning 4-1 to move on to the next round. Um, I didn't know what to do here because <laughs> I I want to believe the Lakers are the best team in the West, even though they finished as the seventh seed. But I don't know how LeBron is. And if they lose this, they may potentially miss the playoffs. So I don't know how the hell they handle this. Um, just for the sake of argument, I'll say whoever finishes with the eighth seed loses to Utah, and I'll say probably in six. Okay. If it's the Lakers, match up with them. I think if it's the Lakers, they lose in seven to Utah. Um, I think if it's the Warriors, they lose in probably six because in two games where stuff just goes insane. That's fair. So uh, moving on, then we have. The two versus seven. So in my scenario, I have the Lakers getting the seventh seed, playing Phoenix, the two seed. And I have the Lakers beating them for two. So that kind of throws a wrench in everything. But what do you think? I'll also add if Memphis gets the eighth seed, then it's all the same thing applies. Except I'll probably say just five games for Utah. Um, with Phoenix, I think if it's the Lakers and Phoenix, then I think the Lakers honestly win that series. Um, probably in seven. If it's the Warriors in Phoenix, then I think Phoenix wins it in probably six. So that's my sort of hedging my bet pick right now. That's fair. And then you got uh, the four and five um, matchup, which I think might be the most interesting matchup, depending on where the Lakers fall, if they even make it. Yeah, uh, I, think, as I, said, I think after Milwaukee and Miami, this is my next most interesting matchup for the first round. So you got the Clippers – Versus uh, Luca and the boys, I think the I don't think it's gonna be close. I think the Lakers, the Clippers are just too stacked if they're healthy, and it seems like they are gonna be healthy. Serge Ibaka's back and all that good stuff. So I got the Clippers winning four in four one. I have the Clippers winning. I have it in six. I think the Luca Magic and whatever else they have in Dallas. I don't even know who else is there. Um, KP. Yeah. Um, about that. But <laughs> I think the Luca Magic gets them a game or two. And so they probably they probably lose in six to the Clippers. Sounds like a repeat of last year. Luke was going to go super sane and have like fifty points and a game winning buzzer beater, but then it just he can't do it all himself. But then uh, the three six matchup, 
You have Denver versus Portland. I have Denver winning it in six. That's I have the exact same thing. Okay. So then we have Utah versus the Clippers. And I'm going to have the Clippers winning in six. Um, I have the Clippers in my bracket. I have the Clippers beating Denver in seven. Is that right? That's what oh, I think. Uh, oh, wait, no, that wouldn't, that wouldn't work. They wouldn't, they wouldn't play. Never mind. Um, yeah, so I – wait, what did you say you have again? I have the Clippers in six, four, two. Okay. Utah. I'll take that unless the Lakers end up the eighth seed, and then I'll take the Lakers to actually beat the Clippers. I think if the Lakers – basically, I think if the Lakers are in the playoffs, I'm taking them to the Western Finals. Is okay. That, how far yeah. I'm going, basically. Long story short. So if, yeah. if my scenario, I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it now. If the Lakers make the playoffs, I have them making it to the NBA Finals, not just the West Coast. Okay. I was going to go that I was going to go that far, and I probably <laughs> should. But I just to be different from you, I, because I don't totally trust LeBron's ankle and the rest of their cast. I'm not. I'm going to have them losing in the Western Conference Finals, but it's just a matter of to who. All right. So now that I already ruined it, I have Denver and LA playing in the other matchup with obviously L.A. winning in six. So that would give me an all-L.A. Western Conference Finals. All right. Um, again, it depends on where the Lakers' seed falls in this, assuming they win and do beat Memphis and are actually in the playoffs. Um, but just for the hell of it, I'm going to say that I think I'm going to say Denver actually topples L.A., Right? Would that work? Would it be Denver? And I guess it depends on which seed LA gets to, though. But I'm going to say Denver comes out of the West is my long story short thing. Yeah, that's, say, a, that's what makes it so tricky. But. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to basically say Denver and League MVP Jokic take on the Nets. Okay, so I have in my scenario, I have the Lakers and the Nets going to the final. Okay. So I'm going to put my Celtics bias to the side. It would absolutely pain me to see this. I know I would, wouldn't hear the end of it because, ha, 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 the Celtics got all those picks and did nothing with it, blah, blah, blah. But I'll accept the roast, whatever it is. I have the Nets beating the Lakers in the finals in seven. I'm going to take the Lakers beating the Nuggets in six. The Lakers beating the Nuggets? I mean, sorry, the Lakers. What am I saying? The Nets beating the Nuggets in six. Okay. Because my pick. In, that, in that scenario, I believe – no, the Nets would definitely have the have home court over the Lakers. I'm just not sure. Do they have a better record than the Nuggets? That I don't know. Let me look that up real quick. But either way, I feel like – I think I would take the Nets either way, against even if they did play Denver also. I just feel like they're just better at – like I don't think Jokic is – I mean, Jokic is going to be a beast, but he's not – like if they already beat Embiid to get to that point, I feel like Jokic doesn't present like the physical problem that Embiid is. Well, so it's just I, think, like, I think the two teams, I think the two teams with the best chance of taking out the Nets are Philly and Milwaukee. I think those are their two biggest threats are coming out of the East. I think if the Lakers get it together and do make the finals, that that would be the biggest. But just something about the Lakers feels like they're gonna get knocked out early. Maybe it's just that they're like not still not taking it seriously, even though they uh, really could kind of use this. But I don't know. Desperate. Just for the record, the Nets actually do have a better record than everybody in the West, except the Jazz and the Suns. So if they played the Nuggets, Clippers, Lakers, or anybody else in the finals, yeah. they would have home court. Okay. 
I wasn't sure how that works. I wasn't sure if it went based on seeding or record. Or... No, so. I'm pretty sure it's record. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's record. Okay. But I, know, um, but I guess I guess either way it wouldn't matter because the Nets have the two seed and Denver's the three. So either way, the Nets would have the advantage in that case. Yep. So we both, uh, you as a Nets fan, me as a Celtics fan, putting my bias aside, we both had the Nets winning it all. So now yep. all the pressure in the world is on them, and I can just sit back and relax, <laughs> and either cry myself to sleep or laugh and try and harass all of the Nets fans I know until yeah, they delete but, their social media profiles. Thing, even if even if you're like, oh, I'm gonna laugh and harass all the Nets fans, whatever. If I'm not mistaken, this crew still has what two more seasons together after this. Or definitely one, I know for sure. I, I don't know. Kyrie's enjoying his last ride, so yeah, that's Kyrie. I God, Kyrie, <laughs> get from my nerve. Um, but I think if they don't win, I think if they don't win, then for sure Kyrie's back anyway. Um, Kyrie might actually care about basketball if they don't win. Um, that's what's true. Like that's what's truly incredible though about Kyrie is that like. Basketball is his side thing. It's like his hobby. And he's still one of the greatest players in the world when he's on the court. Imagine if, like, basketball was his priority. How, like, he might be greatest of all time if basketball was the thing he most cared about. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of people that just in terms of, like, when you account, like, size into the factor and everything, because he is only 6'2", that they think he's, like, the literally the most skilled player ever. Yeah. At least, at least offensively. But it's just, you like... What I, you know what I did think was interesting, though, that I heard on Michael K today? Um... Dom LaGreca had an interesting point where he was saying that because, like, yes, Kyrie thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Yes, Kyrie thinks he's smarter than everybody. But because of that is a part of it, him sort of, like, building in a defense mechanism against criticism by being like, well, I don't really care about basketball that much anyway. So if I lose and you criticize me, I don't really care. When deep down it eats away at him and he does need to win and it is – Maybe not the most important thing, but it absolutely matters, and he cares more than he's letting on. And that is just an easy cut to be like, well, I don't really care anyway. And and it's the easy excuse of like, well, you just don't get it because then you don't have to ever explain yourself. Because like, if you're just saying, well, you'll not, you won't understand anyway, then you don't need to sort of actually articulate what you're doing. Like, because like they pointed out how like, yeah, Kyrie does really believe in social issues and stuff like that. They were like, but it's not like he's the first athlete to ever do this. It's not like he's the most influential athlete to do this. He's definitely not the smartest athlete to ever do this. So just the way that he presents himself as above everybody and everything is so off-putting. But is it intentional so that this way, like I said, if the team does fail, it's like, well, it was never about basketball for me anyway. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird because I feel like he's always been in terms of like – off the court, I feel like he's always had like that quirk, not kind of quirky, but like weird, like the whole flat earth thing that came out. I think when he was, yeah, like, I was saying, but that's, that's the that's, beginning of his career. For a while, it was like endearing though, because when it was like the Uncle Drew, like, all right, like I really love basketball, but I also like being a funny guy on the side and whatever too. It feel like he almost feels like a pro wrestler in some ways, where it's like he has, he's going through these like gimmick changes of like coming in, it was just like, all right, prodigy, phenom, whatever. Can then I just make, like, can... a quick comparison? Yeah. He's, like, the Mick Foley of NBA. Like, I feel like he yeah, has, like, three, three yeah, different characters. Three faces of Ky- the three faces of Kyrie. Because, like, you had, like, <laughs> Kyrie that was, like... Well, like I'll, said, I'll, I'll, give, I'll, give you exact, 
I'll give you the exact wrestling comparison. Okay, it's, here we go. Uncle Drew era Kyrie is his dude love. It's his okay. like silly, playful, like this is me being goofy. Like that's that Kyrie. Um current, like I don't really care about basketball. This is all just a side thing for me, Kyrie. It's kinda like his like I guess I would say like his sort of mankind Kyrie. Where it's like, there's something up with this guy's head, but he is smart, but he's just a weirdo. And he probably sits in boiler rooms rocking back and forth. <laughs> and then, like, Killer Kyrie in the finals, helping the Cavs get a title. And that, to me, is like the Cactus Jack Kyrie of, like, I'm going all out, balls to the wall. I will kill myself if I have to to make this win. Like, that. so, yeah, I think those are sort of the three faces of Kyrie that we have yeah it's just weird i feel like like you said like we've been through stages with him in his career because like, i feel like all of cleveland you never really heard like him be this open not, not necessarily open but like have this much stuff going on off the court in terms of like mentally yeah Where, like and then in like boston i feel it was kind of like i guess like the, in the crossroads because like he was like super happy when he first got there then like things started going downhill and like that's when he, like, famously, I guess, kind of threw the young guys under the bus. And then, like, he had his grandfather pass away, I think, in 2018 or 20, like, right the year before he, he left. And he said, like, he used that. I, I don't want to say as an excuse because obviously it was tragic. But, like, he said, like, basketball was the last thing he was thinking about. And now his whole time in Brooklyn, it's kind of been, like, all of these social justice issues or, like, his family situation, his dad's birthday, whatever it was. Like, there's always something now where I feel like he's kind of, I don't know if it's just, like, him maturing as a person. But, like, and now I think he's converted to, to being Muslim or whatever. So he was, like, fasting and all that stuff. So it just seems like he's just maturing. And that seems weird. Like, a lot of stuff to people that don't understand it. Because I certainly you know, don't you understand know everything. You know what it is, though? He feels like he's maturing in the way a college student matures is the problem yeah. right now. Like, it feels like these are sort of his college years. Where, it's like, when you're in college, you think you're the smartest person in the room. You think you know more than every adult you've ever met. You think nobody's more intelligent than you. Nobody gets it more than you. All these old people with their veteran ways are just talking out of, you know, tradition or whatever. And then it's not until you get older that you realize in reality, it's kind of a blend. Like you learn things from college, but then you do need the sort of hard mass life experience and sort of young and dumb. And I know Kyrie's older, but I think this that's sort of how he's viewing the world where I think a lot of this, like they mentioned on the Michael Kay show too, where they were like, you just really started getting into these things within the last couple of years. Like you may have experience with like bias or, you know, living as a black man your whole life, but this whole, like you speaking out on it and really being involved, really standing up, really making it a big deal. It's still relatively new to you in the scheme of things. So in a lot of ways, it's like a woke college kid where it's like, well, now I know better than everybody because you're like just sort of getting on board with it. But it's like, in reality, you're trying so hard to prove how with it you are and how intelligent that you are that you end up looking foolish. Because like, if you're really that smart, if you're really that with it, you don't have to acknowledge everybody. I feel like that's kind of where LeBron's gotten to, where it's like, LeBron is probably the most influential, like, and I, he's even guilty of it too at times where like people have called out that like he will never criticize China because of the big bucks that come from there but he'll be the first one to run down America. But at the same time, he's like, has his schools, he has his whatever, and he's still outspoken, but he's also made it very clear that basketball is still like sort of priority 
if not one, one A. It's like he's never pretended to not care about basketball. Like, and that's the big difference with Kyrie, where Kyrie's like, well, I don't really care about this job anyway. Like, if I fail, I fail. Who cares? Like, and it's like, but we know that that's not how you really feel in your heart. Yeah, and I just feel like I went, I personally like disliked, started to dislike Kyrie after the whole Boston situation, obviously. But like, now that he went to the Nets, it was like, all right, whatever, he's on the Nets. But then, like, the fans, like, his Kyrie fan. I know people talk a lot about, like, LeBron, LeBron fans. But, like, we deal with a couple Kyrie fans in the like, oh NBA God. group on Facebook. It's the worst. And they're just, like, the most insufferable group of people that just, like, they defend because you know what? any and everything he does on and off the court. And it's just, like, unbelievable. Well, because you know what it is? It's people who, like I said, it's, like, I don't want to like insult the people because I don't think necessarily these people defending him are as bad as I'm going to make it out to sound right now. But it's a lot of times like when you're dumb and you listen to a smart person where it's like you might not realize that that smart person doesn't have all the answers, but you're smarter than you. So you just take them at their word for everything. It's almost like a childish way to look at the world where it's like, well, Kyrie seems smart to me. So, of course, everything he's saying and doing makes sense. And, of course, everything he's saying and doing is right. Where it's like, okay, no, you can credit like that's the other thing too. People don't realize that like everybody thinks in like black and white that you have to be like all in. Like if you question free at all, well then you hate black men, you are <laughs> against social justice, you want slavery to come back. Like it's like it's not all that complicated. You could be like, no, these police shootings are tragedies, and Kyrie's also making a fool of himself at the they're not mutually exclusive ideas. Like, you attacking Kyrie for being like, I don't really want to play basketball anyway, or I'm smarter than you guys, you guys are all pawns, doesn't make you racist or anti-anything. It just makes you somebody who doesn't want to be talking down to or spoken down to by somebody who honestly is not as smart as they think they are. Yeah. Right? That's all that it comes down to. But people act like Kyrie is this, like, Muhammad Ali sacrifice his career to, to you know, fight against the war sort of thing. When all Kyrie's ever done is, like, miss a couple weeks to go party. Like, because that's the other thing, too. As much as Kyrie says that, like, you know, he likes social justice and that, you don't see Kyrie, like, being concrete about anything. And that's part of what I think is a lot of what his appeal is that he's never said, like, this is exactly what I'm protesting, exactly why I'm protesting, exactly how I'm protesting, what I want to see change. It's always these, like, vague, like, well, I can't tell you because you wouldn't get it anyway. And I think it's because he truly doesn't know. Like, I think yeah. Kyrie honestly doesn't know. I think he knows that he's upset. And he knows that, like I said, I don't know if it's him just covering for the pressures of basketball and being a famous athlete. I don't know if it really is him truly caring about, like, social issues. But I think he truly doesn't know how to articulate himself. And that's why he's not coming out and giving the answers that, like, a LeBron gives. Because that's the other thing, too. Again, not to go back to LeBron, but, like, whether he's right or wrong, LeBron will make his opinion known. And I don't always agree with him, and I don't always think he expresses it in the right way. I think he does jump to conclusions, like when that girl got shot who was literally going to stab the other girl. But at the same time, he's also not going to hide behind anything and pretend he doesn't have an opinion or pretend that you couldn't understand his opinion. Like, And that's what's so off-putting about Kyrie is the way that like, he has these big, broad stances but won't ever have the nuance or the discussion like, it's almost like he wants to, he like is the person who claims to have a discussion, but then never wants to actually talk. Like, yeah, Kyrie is like, like, you either agree with me or you don't get it, and that's it. And it's just it's so off putting. Kyrie is like, I, I don't want to go much longer on this, but like, Kyrie is literally like the coworker that I resent the most. Like, 
the guy that thinks he knows everything and like won't even spend time trying to like reason with you or whatever it's just like the worst person to talk to and try to like work with and i feel like if he wasn't such a damn good basketball player that like people would absolutely hate him and i'm sure there are some people that i'm sure the guys in boston that that dap him up after the game whatever it's a lot different when the guy's playing on the a cart with you and you're on the team bus together the plane with a practice everything like it's different they people like oh they love him they, they, look what they shook hands with him after but things are different when you're actually working with someone all the time yeah and it's just sure. like I just feel like Kyrie is he's a phenomenal player, but he he's very questionable off the court in terms of like I understand all the good he does and everything, but like there's also a lot of nonsense that comes with it. And my oh, favorite thing, like I said, you know, you know what it is? There's plenty of and maybe I'm one of them. <laughs> there are plenty of good people who are annoying to be around or who are just off putting. Like, yeah. and that's what Kyrie is. I don't think Kyrie is a bad. And I feel like Rosenberg kind of tackled this on Michael K too, where he was like. I know Kyrie is a good guy. Like, I don't think Kyrie is, I don't think Kyrie's like trying to hurt anybody, but Kyrie is also incredibly off-putting with the way that he puts himself on the pedestal and talks down to literally everyone and everything. Like, so it's not like you can, you can critique somebody without critiquing, like without saying that they're a terrible person. Like, you know what I mean? And that's going to yeah. so many people don't get like, you can bash somebody without bashing them entirely. Like, but that's the thing. I feel like with Kyrie, Fran, like Kyrie fans, it's just so black and white. Like you said, like either you hate him or you like you can't criticize him. You can't be in the middle. But like, yeah, like, like, I, like said, I said, the whole thing was like somebody who literally brought up, well, Kyrie is it was his father's birthday and it was his sister's birthday, and who knows if they're gonna have birthdays again. And it's like that literally goes for every single player <laughs> who isn't an orphan without siblings. Like yeah. everybody has family. Everybody, we can both die before this podcast is even published. And we may have missed our last chance. You know what I mean? Like that can literally for anybody, but that can't justify every single move that you make. It would be different if like his father or his sister, God forbid, like had terminal, had a terminal illness and was on their deathbed. I think everybody in the world would understand him just quitting entirely to go spend time with them or taking as much time as he needed. But this like generic, like, well, maybe they will die one day, even though they're in totally fine health now and living absolutely normal. Life. It's like, that's just, you're stupid. You're an idiot. Like, but, but like, but, but like, this would be the last thing about Kyrie because we spent way too much time on it. But like the, the best part about that instance in particular was like that was when people thought he was missing games because of like the whole social social justice stuff that was going on. And then like the video came out that like he was just partying it up during the peak of COVID, by the way, with no mask, no nothing. So like right away his fans were like, Oh, that's an old video. Oh, it doesn't matter. Like Oh, but I was saying, but no, but again, you don't you're just not understanding you're a pawn. You're not understanding (laughs) it was it wasn't just he wasn't just out partying. He was at his sister's birthday party. I don't know if you know what it's like to have a sister, but Kyrie has a sister, and not everybody has sisters, and not everybody's sisters have birthdays. So you don't get it. Kyrie had to go to his sister's birthday party in the middle of a pandemic. Like, it was it was a birthday. Like, his sister's birthday. That's not just the thing that everybody has. And my favorite argument was like, oh, you've never taken a sick day from work or you've never used a personal day. But it's like, I don't have to only work 82 days a year. And like, as it, and also, you taking that one sick day or one personal day didn't then cause you to miss two weeks of work. <laughs> like, if, if he missed one game for it, I don't think, and that's what, like, some people are saying, like, well, if it was any other season and he missed one game or whatever. But if it was any other season and he missed one game, it wouldn't have mattered and everybody would have been fine with it. But he knew he was missing two weeks. Like, 
it's just crazy. I don't know. I really don't like. Like I, I don't get me wrong. I absolutely want the Nets to win a championship, and if Kyrie's like Finals MVP, I will take back a lot of about <laughs> Kyrie. I will probably end up with a Kyrie tattoo. But, but I also, like I said, I can make it very clear that I love just like with the Giants, where I love the Giants and hated Michael Strahan. I love the Nets, and I'm not gonna say I hate Kyrie, but Kyrie is the most annoying player I've seen in my time as a Nets fan, and probably my second most hated player behind Darren Williams, who was just flat-out garbage. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's tough. I don't know. If Kyrie wins finals MVP, that's going to be – do you think his fans are bad now? Oof. Oh, man. But uh, speaking of – Yeah, I, was, I, think, I think my ideal situation as a Nets fan who doesn't like Kyrie is that, like, Harden and KD just take over and Blake Griffin becomes vintage Blake and they become the new, like, the new big three and Kyrie has all these bad games that the Nets – in spite of like that's kind of my ideal situation as like a Nets fan who doesn't like Kyrie is like let everybody else play at their absolute peak while Kyrie slacks off and let them win the championship that way <laughs> well then it'll be oh they only did good because Kyrie was drawing all the attention yeah of course you know but it'll be fun Ky- yeah Kyrie fans Kyrie fans are literally the worst fans in sports I'd say <laughs> I've never seen a more like because it goes because it and I don't I don't know how far over time we're going at this point but it just the Kyrie the Kyrie fans go so far all like overboard off the court like even LeBron fans are insufferable at times but they generally keep it on the court where it's like well LeBron's great because he did X Y and Z on the court they may overinflate his like on the court things but I feel like LeBron fans aren't usually going to be like well LeBron's greater than Jordan because he built a school I know some people will do that when they like talk like social impact or whatever but. Like Kyrie fans, it feels like we'll find any on or off the basketball court to justify to be like Kyrie's actually amazing and the best player. Yeah, but uh, speaking of being amazing and the best player ever, Kwame Brown has been uh, the hot topic of social media these past few days. Oh my God, Kwame, most entertaining athlete in the history of sports. So apparently, on a a recent episode of All the Smoke, a podcast by uh, Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson, they had former Wizards player Gilbert Arenas on the episode and uh, they took some shots at the uh, the GOAT Kwame Brown and he took a few days and then he responded and uh, this man went off. He's pretty much talking he about was, how Matt Barnes was, had his okay. wife and kids stolen by Derek <laughs> Fisher and he had to break into his own house and then he said Steven Jackson's uh, uh, I don't know, he said that he's pretty much not really all for Black Lives Matter and all that stuff. Like all that stuff's fake. Kwame it's Brown. Like, I need a picture. Of, I need a picture of Kwame Brown. It's like you know the Wilt, the famous Wilt Chamberlain picture where he's holding up the hundred points. Yes. And it's like it's just Kwame Brown holding up the paper that says keys to your car. <laughs> <laughs> My God, like hey, Matt but- Barnes has to just quit after like. I never knew a guy who was so bad at their job. Could be this good at anything else. Oh, he has so, been amazing. To and in the most recent, uh, I think Matt Barnes responded oh, today. Did you, I say, did you see him calling out Charlemagne? No, I didn't. I, I was just going to look it up. My and... God, that one was the most vicious one. And I don't, I don't know the truth to it, so I will phrase it as allegations. But Charlemagne, to me. I didn't like. I really felt like he was kind of coming to the defense of Kwame Brown, 
recently Charlemagne had like a rant on the radio where he was saying that like these guys need to lay off Kwame Brown because he come from a family that will murder you. He said his dad was in jail basically for murdering somebody and hi- like hiding the body. Um, apparently he has a brother who he supposedly doesn't know who went to jail for murdering somebody. And he's like, Kwame Brown is clearly in a fragile mind state. Leave Kwame Brown alone. And Kwame Brown just came out and eviscerated him and was saying like how he never said he would get violent with anybody and that Charlemagne shouldn't be so sensitive to words and all these guys shouldn't be so sensitive to words. And he called Charlemagne a rapist. And so the Charlemagne's literally on record. And then again, I don't know if this is true or not. This is according to Kwame Brown. That Charlemagne pled guilty to a rape charge and was still kept on the air allowed to pretend to be this like protector of women and this Me Too supporter and this and that, despite raping a girl. And I was like, Jesus Christ, Kwame Brown is going scorched earth. He is just eviscerating like the entire world. Uh, so yeah, apparently I just looked it up. Apparently this came out in 2018, but in 2015 he, uh, Charlemagne the God admitted to giving a woman uh, no, having sex with a woman while she wasn't coherent, supposedly. So, yeah, that's the. Uh, I guess that actually happened. So, yeah, yeah Kwame so, Brown didn't so, have the best NBA career, but now he is just taking turns dunking on everybody because he is just that, he is prime oh prime Blake Griffin, DeAndre Lob City on everyone who's ever had an unkind word to say about Kwame Brown. I always have to relate it back to this because you know how much I love it. But right now would be the NBA top shot for anybody that doesn't know. NFT, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Need the Kwame they, Brown. they release, sometimes they release packs that are like throwback packs. Right now, if they drop the Kwame Brown, like one of one moment, it oh might go for like a million dollars. This guy, <laughs> like his, his jerseys are literally like spiking in price on eBay. Who would ever buy a Kwame Brown jersey? And now it's like, oh. years ago, we were just, we brought it up, we just talked about it. We we watched Kwame Brown in the Big Three League. Now they probably have to give him hundreds of thousands of dollars to get in there. That's how popular and like everybody's loving what this guy's doing. Because like I feel like Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson have like gained popularity because of this podcast. And a lot of the time they're like crapping on a lot of players. So like now somebody's finally fighting back, and it just so happens to be Kwame Brown, who's been the joke of the league for the last like twenty years. <laughs> and it makes it even better. It's just like it's amazing. Well, because you know what you know what's good too. He's got such like because you could anybody could say the things that he's saying. He has such a funny like demeanor and tone and just the way he's carrying himself through all of this. It's such a like cocksure, but also genuinely funny. Like I'm just gonna blow everybody out of the water. <laughs> like he's the so way- like like when he's just going to town on Matt Barnes getting his family <laughs> ripped. <laughs> no, I don't know. It's so bad because, like, as a man and as somebody who's going through a divorce right now, I can imagine, like, the anger that Matt Barnes felt at Derek Fisher and, like, how that must still eat away at him. But for Kwame Brown to attack that, it's like, oh, my God, that is brutal, but in the best, most hilarious way. Like, so the Matt Barnes responded earlier today. He was saying how, like, oh, he wants Kwame. He invited Kwame Brown onto, like, their podcast to talk about it. Like, he said, oh, we're going to... North Carolina or whatever because oh I thought I thought Matt Barnes I was just gonna say I thought Matt Barnes did make one genuinely good point when he said that uh supposedly he DM'd Kwame trying to like straighten out whatever issues they have but Kwame Brown still just going at it publicly yeah but, but then like of course time, he's, you're he's, the one who was initially bringing it up on your podcast 
Yeah. And so be it. Although Matt Barnes swears he didn't really even do anything. Supposedly he just like slapped the leg of Steven Jackson when he said something. I don't know. I, 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 I never watched or listened to the All the Smoke podcast, so I didn't. I don't really. The know name of the podcast is All the Smoke, and Kwame Brown's bringing the smoke now, and they now they're just backing down. <laughs> but like Matt Barnes saying like, "Oh, we can we can box if you want. We can get in the ring." So like now he's trying to like build off the hype too. But then Kwame Brown responded just like laughing at him, telling him to shut up. I can't repeat a lot of the stuff he says. But Triller, Triller needs to put this on, and I've been wanting like any now. Anytime there's beef between any famous people, I just want Triller to get on it, um, because I enjoyed the hell out of that last one. But Triller needs to get on this and just hot shot it two weeks notice, make it the co-main for the Paul Floyd fight. Matt Barnes yeah. and Tommy Brown square up. But yeah, Tommy Brown there. was talking again about how Matt Barnes had to like. Climb his own fence to get into his house, or something like that. <laughs> and then, but then he was like, "You got the you, key, you got the keys, and you probably climbed your own yeah. fence, you dummy." He's like, he's like, you could have twisted your ankle. You had a game the next day. I was like, he's like, he's like, "Your, your sad ass probably forgot you had the keys in your pocket. You still climb." I'm like, oh, "You drove God. nine hours, man, the whole way." Like, you know what? You know what? Call me Brown needs to make right now. He needs to make a cameo account. He would oh be making. My I would 100 percent pay for him to do an intro to the to, to the podcast. Like yeah, I, like I was saying, he's got to have a job with some sports network today. Like oh. he's so if, damn entertaining. If Kendrick if Perkins Skip can have Bayless a job with ESPN, a, he should just take Skip Bayless's job. He could do the same thing. He could just give hot takes. But his his singing voice too. And he's just singing about how he, he's got your car, he's got your house. Yeah, Kwame Brown. Uh... He's fighting for this woman, and she's already married to Derek Fisher now or whatever. And you're nothing. Oh, my God. Like, it's... I never thought I'd feel bad for Matt Barnes, but Kwame Brown just killed this entire man's existence. <laughs> They might have to just cancel that podcast. Like you it's over. Ripped his soul from his body. You can't be called all the smoke and then have this happen to you. It's just not, not a good luck. But uh, Kwame Brown has more smoke than Josh Gordon on. Jesus Christ! So yeah, Kwame Brown for president. And uh, lastly, this this is definitely our longest episode ever. But uh, oh, I do sure. want to touch for sure, on this for the, for the episode we thought was going to go short. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's what happens when there's no football to talk about. We just rant about everything else we even want to talk about. Um, so me and you both aren't the biggest baseball fans. I, no, I don't ba- think we baseball either sucks. one of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then to further validate our standpoints, I tried getting into it last year. I got a couple of Phillies jerseys, whatever. But like, I bought a baseball like this... magazine. I bought a baseball magazine this year, thinking I would get into it. I was like, <laughs> let me get a preview of all the teams. I watched the Yankees opening day game, and it's like, just baseball sucks. Yeah, so since they can't really talk too much about Kwame Brown and like the national sports networks because of all the expletives and whatnot that goes on, <laughs> I feel like this has been the most talked about topic. When uh, so your mean Mercedes, or apparently his nickname is the Yerminator, is a 28 year old catcher for the White Sox, who are the, supposedly the best team in baseball right now, and uh, so they were up by like a million runs in I think the the ninth inning. Was it 10? Okay, because I was say this is what I had, this is the way that I heard it framed. It was 15-4. Okay. I was say I heard in something like 20-something years, no team, no player while his team was up 10-plus had swung at an 0-3 count. Yeah, 3 count. count, rather. Sorry. So here's, here's the little the paragraph that they have on Sports Illustrated. It says, on Monday, 
trailing 15 to 4, the Twins sent first baseman Williams Astudillo to pitch the ninth inning. He retired the first two hitters, then threw three straight balls to Chicago DH German Mercedes, Mercedes, whatever you want to say it, who leads the MLB with a three inning average. Astudillo's fourth pitch floated in at 47 miles per hour. Listen, I used <laughs> to play like, I used to play slow pitch softball and I was awful. I was the worst softball player ever. And I think they might have been throwing faster than that. So this guy, who's the best hitter in baseball right now, absolutely destroyed the pitch and <laughs> sent it over the center field fence. But like, <laughs> As he should have. Yes. I'm, so not saying, is, I'm, I'm not going to say that I could pitch 47 miles per hour, but I don't think I would pitch that far under it. <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly confident I can throw over 47 miles per hour right now. I, and I, I, I may be able to, but I, I don't feel confident to say that I definitely could. But I can confidently say it wouldn't be that far off. But, like, so this guy's own manager, old-ass Tony La Russa, who drove drunk and all this other nonsense, has the nerve to go public after the game and absolutely destroy his own player, saying, oh, he ignored my take call. It's like, that's he's going to learn from this mistake, blah, blah, blah. And it just shows that baseball is just the biggest joke. It's the, the average age of these fans got to be 65 years old because all they care about is what used to happen when Babe Ruth played. They're all about all these unwritten rules and all this nonsense, and it's the stupidest thing ever. Last year, everybody loved baseball. The ratings spiked because everybody was hitting home runs. Now you want this guy to... Granted, I looked further into this guy's career. He's a 28-year-old rookie that's been bouncing around the minor leagues for 10 years. Literally, baseball right now is all about home runs. So if this guy goes to arbitration... And they, where they literally just look at stats and decide what you get paid based on that. If he didn't hit this home run, that could be the difference in a hundred thousand millions of dollars. Who knows? Like, it's just so stupid that like, and then the next game, literally the very next game, he gets intentionally hit by a pitch. And that's perfectly fine because this is what baseball does. The guy, you, he hit a baseball and that's the worst thing that ever happened. But hitting him with a baseball is perfectly fine. It's and just so stupid. I, and from what I've heard, Tony La Russa, um, Basically, like said, like yeah, you can hit him. It's fine. Like, it's yeah, so. Yeah, like, that's the thing. He defended that too. Here, here's my problem. I get Tony Larusa being pissed that he ignored his sign because, like, as a baseball manager, you don't like you're not out there like a football coach. You're not calling plays the same way. You're not even running plays like a basketball coach. You're like you're basically the most replaceable, least effective actual coach in any sport that's why you're not even given the coach title you're a manager because that's really what you do you manage you move people around and that's what you do you have no real impact oh we're gonna shift the guys over a few feet all right whatever cool you don't really have plays baseball sucks um (laughs) but at the same time i understand that when it is your manager or your coach even though he's not a coach he's a manager because there's no plays like you should listen to that guy, especially if you're a rookie and this guy is a veteran who's won, if I'm not mistaken, won a World Series before. Yeah. So I get Larusa being pissed, but handle that behind the scenes. Like, and maybe he's trying to save face because he doesn't want other managers and other old people to be mad at him. But like, defend like this is why he'll never win the World Series because his guys aren't going to play for him like that. You got to come out like say what you want about a guy like Rex Ryan. Players love playing for Ryan because he had their backs at all times. Like, that's who you want to coach. I think you could be a hard coach, 
But you got to have your guys back in your locker room, even when they're not doing necessarily the right thing. And I think it's different if it's like, if it's an absolutely egregious, dangerous sort of thing, like if it's a Tom Wilson type hit in hockey and, you know, his coach came out and was like, listen, I love Tom, but you can't do that. This, I'd get that. If it's something that's like actually dangerous. But this was just something that it's like, oh, you rubbed it in their face a little bit. I'm sorry. These guys are pro athletes. I looked it up. The minimum salary for the MLB is $550,000. That's, and I looked at the average American salary, which is $31,000 a year. So that's basically 17 years worth of an average American job in one year. So if you're making that much money, and I'm sure this first baseman is making at least that, if not more, your pride can deal with a little boo-boo of getting a, a ball dinged off of a bat. Like, I'm sorry that you allowed a home run. Maybe don't have that guy pitch for you then. Maybe use one of your other pitchers. You can't tell me every other pitcher on that team was hurt. Like, put anybody out there at that point. But that's, if you're going to put that guy, let him get home runs hit off of him, and who cares? Like, Yeah, that's, like, the thing that annoys me the most is, like, all these, like, baseball traditionalists or whatever they say, like, oh, well, um, they put in the position player to pitch. So that's just them quitting. So that at that point you shouldn't try. So what does that mean? This guy should just take pitches and then take a strikeout and then have his average look worse. Like it doesn't make any sense. If that that's honestly in my eyes, putting a player that doesn't pitch into pitch is more disrespectful than this guy hitting a home run. Yeah, for sure. So if that's if that's what you're gonna. That's like saying, just hypothetically, uh, I compared it to like the NFL. Say a team was down twenty and they put their running back into play quarterback. Should the defense not try and pick off a pass or not hit him? Like no, that's just. What happens? You put the guy out there, you want them to swing, that's what happens. It's just so like it's just so dumb and I hate it. I, I totally get that mentality with kids. I'm a big proponent of like all of these youth sports coaches who want to live through kids and want their kids to play super hard. Like the video circulated in the last week of those little kids doing on tackling drills. Like that is some scumbag stuff. I hate that. Like I understand if it's kids and you're like, no, a kid shouldn't be hitting a home run off of another kid when your team's up 10, like below a certain age. But when you're a professional making a living off of this, do your job. If you have a problem with it, do your job. Like I love and I said it on Twitter. Trevor Bauer is basically the only good thing about baseball because like he had the thing in spring training where he pitched with those and then Tatis hit the home run off of him and mocked him by covering his eye and doing the McGregor walk and all that stuff. And Bauer was totally cool with it. He literally made a point in the press conference to be like, that's absolutely fine. It's hard to hit a home run. If you could hit a home run off me, great. You deserve to glue. Bauer gets it. He's trying to make the sport fun and modernize. Because, like, all this old-time baseball crap is why baseball – is your what fourth most popular sport now in America? Maybe fit is soccer passing it in the US? Like it's baseball sucks. Like and it's because yeah. nobody wants baseball to be fun. Baseball needs personalities. Baseball needs Trevor Bowers. Baseball needs Brian Wilson. They need people hitting home runs off first baseman who decide to to pitch. Like bring fun to baseball. Like people talk about the NFL being the no fun league. Baseball is literally the no fun league. You can't yeah, anything interesting in baseball, basically. And, like, that's why nobody talks about baseball outside of baseball shows, really. Like, the Michael K show, because Michael K is an analyst for the Yankees, the only reason I hear about baseball at all 
And the fact that Eddie and Caleb, who I do the podcast with on the weekends, are both baseball fans. If it wasn't for them, I would have no exposure to baseball at all. For the last few years, I couldn't tell you a single person in baseball beyond the like three biggest names because it's become that much of an afterthought. Yep. And it's just like, this is just another point, completely random, but it involves baseball. Any sport that plays playoff games during the day on a weekday is just like you're, you're doing something wrong. Like that just shows you how stupid oh, and I, confident people I, that run I've baseball. Had, I've had verbal wars with Eddie over a team doing their opening days during day like week games and stuff. It's so like, stupid. it's so stupid and like it's irresponsible to also just be like, you know what it is too. And I'm not because I'm not usually one to bring race into things. Baseball really feels like the ultimate sort of like white privileged sport because it's like, no, of course you can take a day off work to watch a day baseball game. <laughs> yeah, sure. If you have a good job and you're a white guy who like saved up your sick time or has, or has your job that's just like, yeah, no, work whenever you want. Like you can take a day off from like work to watch it. But otherwise, most people work nine to five people can't just take a random day off to be like, hey, this is like the first game of the season and I really want to watch it. So if you just let me stay home, that would be really appreciated. Like, it's beyond dumb. Baseball sucks. Weekend day games, I'm absolutely for. I totally get that. Most people, and again, I know no, no game is right for every schedule, but most people work weekdays during the day. So, like, doing weekend day games, but doing and like if you want to do like a later afternoon game because most people get off work at four or five, like and can be home by like six the second half of the game, so be it. But just baseball sucks. Yeah, so uh that'll wrap up this podcast. Just to recap, so the Nets are gonna win it all. The Lakers are actually winning right now, by the way. They're on at least on my uh, dial up internet over here. They're up eighty five seventy nine. And uh Tommy Brown's the best player in NBA history. And baseball is the worst sport in ever. So, yeah, that about it. That's about it. Do you have any closing uh, thoughts? That's the takeaways for this week. Um, nope, that's about it for this week. So, let's <laughs> listen to us next week when we also don't talk about football and talk instead for two hours about whatever else we talk about. <laughs> oh, uh, let's not forget the Mick Foley uh, Kyrie comparison, which I think yeah. is a good one. All right, so. That's all for our longest episode ever. Probably this is like a, a, a movie. This is going to go straight to Netflix instead of Apple Podcasts. But uh, thank you all for listening if you've made it this far. Uh, as always, like, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. And uh, we'll see you next week. All right, goodbye, everybody.